Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Shut up and sit down. Welcome to the Answers Yes podcast, where we will explore the cause and effect of just saying yes in your everyday life or in business. I will dig into topics that are not just stimulating, but will challenge you to be better in everything you do. The podcast is based on the simplicity of saying yes to opportunities you might encounter every single day. I'm your host, Jim Riley. Join me in my first series titled, Blue Collar Redefined. Hello and welcome to the Answer is Yes podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I really appreciate the support and the following. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please share with your friends and family. They can go to iTunes and upload, subscribe to the Answer is Yes. And I would really appreciate that. Um, we've seen some great momentum happening. I'm still continuing to get some feedback. If you have not heard last week's podcast with Andy Hill, who'd played basketball with uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton and was coached by John Wooden. Please go back and check it out. You know, Andy doesn't have a huge following in social media. Uh, he's just kind of past that gap of having social media. So he hasn't been able to tell a whole bunch of people. But, man, he really is an interesting guy in all the years at CBS and his success with Walker, Texas Ranger, and all these incredible shows from the 70s and 80s. Just It was a good time for me to meet up with him. So please, if you haven't heard last week's podcast, please go back to it and check it out. If you did not catch my first podcast and why I'm doing this, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons why I'm doing it. Support my business. It's something that I enjoy. One day I'd like to write a book and be a public speaker. But at the end of the day, I really want to spend more time being a dad and supporting my family here at the house and being more present with them. And through podcasting, it allows me to do that here and help work from home. And if you've ever wondered, hey, what does it look like where this podcast is being recorded at? I'm in the garage in an office that I built with my father-in-law last summer. <laughs> it's got four walls and a ceiling and some, I don't know, some cool stuff and memorabilia in here. But it does allow me to be at home. So when I step out of the podcast room, I'll be back with my kids. And so thank you for listening and, again, sharing our stories. Because for me, I'm living the dream of being that dad. And I've called it out before. My goal in life is just to be the best dad and husband. So thank you for that. Uh I like to talk about Baja United stuff and what's happening there. We've had just another great week of growth and momentum. A lot of grocery stores, Vons Pavilion. If you're in Newport or Mission Viejo, please go to Vons Pavilion. Buy some Baja United Monte Chenique wine. We'd really appreciate that. It was a good sale for us. We like being at Vons. That was a thank you gift from Javier's down there in Newport Coast. They knew the people at Vons pretty well and suggested us. So thank you for that. Uh, another reminder, don't forget, if you buy two bottles of wine at Baja United, free shipping. Two bottles or more, free shipping. So digging into some of the meat of things, I've also talked a lot about Spartan racing on here. And I just came off of an incredible weekend. I had two races this weekend, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. If you remember from last week's show, I just got back from Montana. I'm really enjoying the Spartan race series and the competitive nature of it. 
Saturday was probably the toughest race Spartan has put on ever. If you follow any Spartan racers, the elites and the pros and the competitive class series that I run, everybody's talked about how difficult it was. And man, was it hard. 13 miles up and down Big Bear Mountain. At, uh, we were at Snow Summit, 5,000 feet of elevation climbing and 35 plus obstacles. And we all collapsed at the finish line. I wound up pulling an eighth place. I improved my time over last year, although last year was half as hard as this year. I still improved my time by 16 minutes. So I feel progress there. And then I came back Sunday and ran the Spartan Sprint, which was uh, 4.3 miles, 20 obstacles. Wound up getting second place. So I had a good time there. My wife, Samantha, ran. Uh, she had a really tough day. She had an injury. So we didn't even look at her place because it was just so tough for her. And then my daughter, Daryl, and ran in a kid's race. And I've talked about this before, too. If you've got a kid and you want to spend time doing something outdoors, four years and older, they can run the Spartan race and have a great time. I think it's important to talk about why I started Spartan racing and what the value might be in it for you. And I, I don't care if it's Spartan racing or OCR or Mud Run or any of those other series out there. I started racing because I've got two little kids. I turned 50 in January and I just wanted to be healthy enough to pick them up, play with them, be present in their lives, be healthy, be around for a long time. And by joining and signing up for Spartan races throughout the year, it motivated me in the in-between times to work out and stay in shape for that. Well, when I first started working out three years ago, I was, and I'm going to be, I'm going to lay it all out here. I weighed 193 pounds on a good day, maybe 196 on a bad day, probably drinking more than I should, eating more than I should. Not really, you know, I cared. I felt like I looked good and I felt pretty good. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I was probably higher in weight than I should have been. Well, through my Spartan training and racing and motivating, uh, being motivated to go out and work out, I'm down to 162 pounds, 16% body fat, and I feel absolutely fabulous. I can get out and run a half a marathon without even thinking about it now. And I'm not saying that to brag about my abilities and my weight. I'm saying it to hopefully encourage somebody. And it's also why I like to talk about Spartan racing itself. I want to encourage people to get out there and do something. I wasn't ever planning on or I didn't follow Spartan racing. It was suggested to me by my trainer as something that my wife and I could do together as a couple's thing that we might enjoy it. And it's a good way to get out and have some type of exercise in an activity. And we started doing it and we fell in love with it. And the point is, is that there's a lot of things out there that you can go do and enjoy that will benefit you from a health perspective and may even bleed into other parts of your lives. I have more energy for my kids and working. I get up and I'm fired up to work. I'm healthy. I'm hardly ever sick anymore. And just my functionality and mobility personally is right where I think it needs to be. I actually feel better now at 50 years old than I felt at 25 and 30. So again, I'm just hoping to encourage people to maybe get off their butts, B-U-T-S, and go try something, anything. And, you know, you got to walk in that direction first. So please think about it. That's why I talk about Spartan racing and hopefully my love for it and my success will encourage you to do something. So on another note, um, just thinking about business and life in general and maybe business opportunities and saying yes to stuff. I got to tell you, I've been encouraged from a distance, and I, and I want to be really clear about from a distance. 
Um, I've got a far off relative. His name is Brian Barris. Years ago, and I want to say, I don't know, 10 years ago, he got into the home loan business. And he says, I'm going to be the home loan guy. I haven't even seen Brian for all those 10 years. But I do get his emails. And over this period of time, I've watched his business succeed from afar as the home loan guy. And I just received an email from him a week ago, and he's talking about being and advertising on iHeartRadio and their success and the ability to market more. I thought, here's a guy when he first told me he was going to get in this business, Brian, the home loan guy. Um, I just thought, what is he doing? What does he know about the home loan business? But now I'm looking back on it after all these years, and here he is a success. He's got a thriving business. He's something that he was passionate about. He said yes to it, and he's made a life for himself. And I'm, I'm, maybe that'll encourage other people to do the same because I was kind of that naysayer for him. Like, what does he know about that? And here, lo and behold, he proved me wrong. He knows an awful lot about it because he's crushing it in his own world. So, Brian, cheers to you. Keep doing what you're doing. If anybody needs a home loan guy, his number's on this email in front of me, 951-639-3733. And it's Brian, the home loan guy. <laughs> so uh, I, I just hope to continue to watch him from afar and see him succeed. I will certainly send him an email that we're bragging about him on the air today. But, um, you know, do something that you like. Get, it, get in a business. There's always opportunities out there. And go for it. Okay, into this week's um, guest, which is Hilda from Corazon de Vida. If you're not familiar with Corazon de Vida, that is the charity organization that works with orphanages in Baja. It's a group of people that I've worked with off and on for probably 10 plus years, all the way back to my Kettle One days. We got disconnected for a few years and now reconnected with Baja United. And all of our proceeds for charity go to Corazon de Vida. So a percentage of our profits go back to them because we know they're doing great work down in Baja. And Hilda and her story is just incredible. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed interviewing and learning some things that I didn't know about them. And if you want to find out what's happening beyond just this podcast, they do have a number of great events throughout the year. I know they've got something coming up in Orange County in July. It's called La Noche Blanca 2018. You can find it on their website, Corazon de Vida. But without further ado, here's Hilda, and we start off the interview with George, who's been her sidekick for many, many years. So thank you for tuning. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Hilda. Okay, well, hello and welcome. I'm in uh, the Corazon de Vida offices. Uh, we consider Irvine, California. So uh, I'm here with George. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. Now, I was thinking, um, we've, we've got a little bit of history, although I don't think we knew the history was there at the first point. But, you know, when I was back at Kettle One, we were making some donations over here to your organization. And uh, it just resonated with me then, not as much as it does now, but you've been with this place for a while, right? Yes, I've been involved with Corazon de Vida now for about 15 years. Um, so uh, I came on a bus trip uh, at that time and... My life was changed, and I made a commitment uh, two years later to make this a full-time job and commitment and changing lives. Well, what's interesting about how you just said that is, you know, the topic of the podcast is the answer is yes. So clearly your commitment, you were saying yes to something. Huh? Who asked you the question? <laughs> was that Hilda? I asked me the question regarding uh, coming down the first time. No, just coming on full-time. Uh, no, really. Um, 
somehow she said yes to me at that time. Uh, when I came in, I saw the need, and I knew I needed a change of something in my life at that time. And I saw where the, my money was going to, but really what sealed the deal when I met Hilda Papacheco, read about her life and her story, and I knew that I needed to partner with this group to help her and the organization help these kids. What, what was going on in your life at the time that you're willing to share or that you'd like to share? Because I think making a commitment to full-time, um, would you, is, do you consider this charity work? I mean, this is, this is a full-time business here. You, you know, you've got obligations to, to raise money and take care of people. So what was going on in your life that you felt comfortable and this is what I want to do? You know, I was in the computer IT field for 20 years. I was a manager at a consulting firm uh, helping businesses in Los Angeles um, automate their systems. Mm -hmm. So I was in charge of the technical side, installing servers and workstations and had a team go out and we were extremely successful in doing this. Uh, but I was in the field going from the San Fernando Valley, Ventura, downtown, and uh, fighting the freeways of Los Angeles every day uh, was starting to take its toll with a beeper on my belt, one, one phone in one ear, one phone in the other ear, and billable time. Everything was billable time. And um, a girlfriend at the time found this organization called Corazon de Vida, Let's Go. And I didn't go for two months, and I came kicking and screaming the third month. Mm. And uh, I met these kids. And I'm, I'm, I am a me Mexican, but I was born this side of the line mother and a father, brother and a sister, dog and cat, living a good middle-class life. Yeah. But these kids had the rotten luck of being born that side of the line, and their life was just so different than mine. Yeah. And I knew that I needed to make a change, and it was a time in my life where uh, my mother had just passed on and uh, getting burnt out at the work, and I knew that I would be taking a hit on an income, but uh, that was fine with me. And I uh, haven't looked back in these 15 years. Well, that, that's a pretty incredible commitment. By the way, for the millennials listening, he did say beeper a minute ago. <laughs> now that it would be the equivalent of a second cell phone attached to your hip that doesn't do anything but send you a message with the phone number that says, call me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we lived through that. Well, I, you know, I, gosh, I remember those days too and, and the grind that most of us were putting in corporate life and um, I can just imagine, you know, stepping out of that comfort zone to, to go and do this type of work um, makes you a special person. Uh, it's, I think it's one of the things that gravitated uh, me towards this organization early on. But really, um, you know, I, I hadn't been with Kettle One for many, many years, and I certainly didn't know what was going on with your organization. But when I ran into you in Baja, I always think it was incredible because we had a table of 15 people. You had a table of 15 people. And we were at the hottest restaurant in town where you can't even get a reservation, but yet we were back to back mm -hmm. where we were seated and you had overheard me talk about orphanages. And when I got up, you had patted me on the shoulder and said, hey, did you mention orphanages? And you're just so in tune to what you're doing and the people and the, the surroundings that you're in. I really appreciated that you stopped me there because we might have just kept passing by, right? That's true. And, you know, I try to do that as much as I could uh, when I hear a conversation like that. 
nine times out of ten, it doesn't go anywhere else. So yeah, I just appreciate you taking the effort to. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. To, uh, stand up, pick up the phone, and call us to begin this partnership. Well, I think things happen for a reason, and I also believe that if you start a business or a project in your life with a, as we call, living with purpose, um, that good things come your way. And I think it was great that we reconnected. Um, I'm already bit with the bug that I wish we could do more this early stage of our business. You know, every month it's like, okay, how do we make more because we want to donate more? And it's almost embarrassing that I can't walk in here every week and hand you guys a check to go do some more work down there. But I know with my experience and my partner Eric's experience that the business is going to take off and one day we'll be able to do that. But um, I, again, I'm so glad that we reconnected and we've had more opportunity now to uh, either talk on the phone or email or know more about what you're doing so that we can start spreading that word. Um, now, you've been here for a long time and there's a connector there. There's a person there that, that you work with. And I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about Hilda. And then I want to bring Hilda on the show and uh, we can hear her story. But what is it about her that's got you here? And, and I know she didn't just hand you a brochure that showed you Baja and tacos and fish and, and, and the ocean, right? What is it about her that's got you stuck here? Really her life and her story and what she's lived to start an organization back in 1994 to help. Uh, to help the home where she grew up at and the home that gave her an opportunity at the time of her life when she needed it the most. And uh, to see this home now called Door Faith, uh, the flagship home of Baja with well over 100 kids and a uh, beautiful place. And I know that we were part of the beginning stage of the rebirth of that home back in 1994 to where it is at now. And, um, and just her leadership and her guidance and her experience. And I still learn from her every single day. And um, we are partners in this for as long as God is giving us the opportunity and the health to, to continue this. And we've done wonderful and amazing work, and we still have a lot more work that we can do to help just so many kids that need help. So appreciate her as a partner and as a friend, and uh, I know we're going to continue to be doing wonderful work. It's awesome. Well, I, I know just like in my own business and the places that I've worked that without that right partnership or that mentorship, it's hard to succeed. Clearly, you bring a huge um, a part of this equation, right? 
um, and, and for you to have found somebody that you me mesh with so well and you guys have accomplished so much. Um, I just, I'm appreciative that I know you both and that we get to work with you. And, um, I hope in 10 years, 15 years from now, we're talking about some of the things that we were able to help you with, uh, and sharing those successes. So, um, thanks for being on the air for a minute and, uh, giving us a little intro and, uh, I'd love to get Hilda on now and, and let's hear from her and hear a little bit about her story. Great. Thank you very much. And appreciate this opportunity. Thanks, George. So uh, as we transfer the mics here in the office, I just, you know, I, I'm continue to be awestruck about what people are able to accomplish when they have a dream and a goal. And, and as, as George said, he said yes to the opportunity of coming over here many, many years ago. And I'm sure every morning he's got to get up and say yes to, uh, you know, coming here and continuing his work. So uh, it's, it's just great to be here. So, okay, Hilda. Hi, Jim. It's so good to see you. Um, I know you guys are so busy right? Always. <laughs> Always. I, I didn't expect to see so many people when I walked in the office. You described it as uh, as small previously. And, and I walked in here and you've got, you know, lots of stuff going on and you've got happy, smiling faces in here all doing something special, I'm sure. Yes, definitely. We just uh, completed a golf tournament uh, last week. And so we've got all the stuff here and we're, you know, closing the books on that. So everybody's doing their, their part you yeah. know, to close that. But there's always something going on. Yeah. I mean, our fundraising events, our trips, you know, everything. So we've got kids to support. So there's always a, a lot going on. Yeah. Wow. Well, with that being said, um, people that have followed along my new company, Baja United Group, where we're importing wines from Baja, um, and they heard my story a few weeks ago on our first podcast, and that was about when I, when I decided to start this business with Eric Morley at Blue Sea Advertising, it was to create a business that was sustainable enough to donate and give back to the orphanages in Baja. And when we wrote that business plan, our notion was we had been working with Rancho Milagro for so long that we were just going to continue to go down that path. And as you know, they've had some challenges over there and some shutdowns and that door closed on us. And it almost seemed like an overwhelming task to find another orphanage that we believed and trusted in and knew the organizers that the money would go to the right place. And of course, I bump into George right at the right time in my life and in the, in the life of the business to be reminded of the work that you guys are doing. And I'm sorry that I had to be reminded because um, we were acquainted before many years ago when I was back at Kettle One. But for the listeners that have heard me tell them that we donate um, everything that we can to Corazon de Vida and then that's what our mission statement for the years to come, I would love for them to hear your story um, as you want it to be told so that when they know when they buy a bottle of wine or any of our other future products, beer, merchandise, mm -hmm. et cetera, that a percentage of that is going to your foundation, I want them to know what, what it's actually going towards. So um, maybe you can give us a little bit of background, you know, when you started this um, and, and why, and then we can kind of dig into where you're at today. It, sure. Um, I'll, I'll get into that, but before I get into that, I, I want to really um, – talk about something that George talked about earlier. He um, he mentioned how he left this super busy life, you know, in, in work with the beeper and, and all the things going uh -huh. on 
And uh, it's kind of funny because I think he's working two or three times as much <laughs> with Corazon de Vida. I mean, y you're looking at a guy that's, uh, you know, 100 hours plus a week. And uh, we um, he's been just the best partner in this organization. And he is um, our definitely our link, direct link to the orphanages and the kids. Yeah. You know, we, we spend most of our time in, on the administrative side, you know, here in the office and and we don't get as much of the face-to-face -face time with the directors and with the children. And that's, that's exactly George's role. Yeah. And it has been for the last 14 years or so. And um, it, it is just uh, amazing what we're able to do with, you know, just a few people. But one key element is definitely the work that George does. And, and the fact that he is, you know, five o'clock in the morning, you send an email, he's responding, you know, midnight, you send an email, he's responding. And, you know, we kind of run the same hours. <laughs> yeah, it seems so like it's, it. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And it can only come from love. Yeah. It really can, because, you know, the pay is certainly not there for that kind of work. And um, it, it really can only come from love and commitment. And he's so smooth at it, too. Every yes. time I've talked to him, it's, he's gracious. He's happy to hear from you. You can't even tell there's a, a bone of stress in his body. But I'm sure <laughs> he's got a full schedule, and, and he's running a million miles oh, an hour. So. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I, I really, it's wonderful that he was able to connect with you. And I remember him coming back and telling me about the group. And mm -hmm. and I was so excited. I said, oh, that's perfect. You know, Baja Wines, Baja Orphanages. Yeah. It just makes sense. And uh, we started, we kind of reached out to you by email, but I know that it was a while before we actually connected. Yeah. Um, several months, actually. We were trying to start yeah, a business. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we knew what we wanted. We just couldn't <laughs> tell you yet. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was really great. And, I, and I'm so grateful for that, um, you know, for that connection and for our ability to work together to support the children thank in Baja. You. So it's a little bit of background for your listeners. Yeah, thank um, you. My uh, my siblings and I lived I in one of the orphanages, and um, as George mentioned earlier, Dor of Fuerte, 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 sorry, Dor of Faith, Puerta mm -hmm. de Fe, in uh, in La Misión, and we were really fortunate to be able to find a space in an orphanage because the alternative was not a not a good alternative. Sure. My father had left um, the family. My mom had four kids at the time. I was the oldest of four. And um, she really wasn't prepared to be the breadwinner for the family. You know, she was raised to be a homemaker. She never went to school. Uh, so she wasn't really prepared to be single and have to work and provide for us. She just couldn't make enough money. And what city were you in? To be able to provide. In Ensenada. In Ensenada. In Ensenada, and my family lived in Valle de Guadalupe. Okay. So we're, my family's originally from Jalisco. And uh, they came to Valle de Guadalupe, I believe, in the 40s or 50s. And, um, but as a child, I lived in Ensenada for, um, for a few years. Then I lived in Valle de Guadalupe for about a year. Um, and then after that is when we, we en ended up in the orphanage. I was eight years old at the time. And mm -hmm. I was the oldest of my four siblings. Um, so that's, you know, that was, um, that's a connection between the orphanages and Corazon de Vida. Uh, years later, I ended up in the U.S., and um, years after that, I went back to visit the orphanage where I grew up and realized that they needed a lot of help. Yeah. It was just not the same home that it was when I lived there. When my <laughs> siblings and I were there, it had a lot of support. We had everything we needed. And uh, when I went down in 93, 
the orphanage was had lost a lot of their support and could barely feed the 35 kids that they had. Yeah. Can we talk about the orphanage for a second while you were there? Because, um, you know, people, they have different notions of what an orphanage is like in Mexico. And I, I've really seen both sides. You know, I, I've seen orphanages that... Um, you know, I'm not going to say that they're flourishing with mm-hmm. supplies and everything, but I've seen a lot of happiness in the orphanages and the kids and the leadership there, but they have needs and, and those needs come from elsewhere like um, Corazon de Vida or churches up mm-hmm. here in the U.S. And then I've seen really bad situations too, where you don't even know where to start. And um, I think it's important for people to understand there's there's both, right? I mean, there's some happy kids that are in orphanages, although that's where they're at. Sure. And I think what I say, the reason for that is um, the orphanage system in Mexico is a private, uh, private system. And it's mostly started by people that really love children and they want to help. Yeah. So it's not started as a business. It's not started as a, a place where the government's going to funnel a lot of funds through. It's just usually a um, pastor and his wife that uh, start bringing in kids from the streets and they start getting local support then they go after support from the u.s and uh, before you know it they've got you know 10 20 30 50 100 kids yeah and it turns into a um, an orphanage so they're not institutions and that makes a big difference because the people that are there are there because they love children and they want to help so and there's a little bit of a balance because you might you know, you have people that have a huge heart and the on the other side, the financial, you know, uh, management might not be there, the the ability to really plan ahead. So they a lot of these orphanages just live on faith. Yeah, sure. So it's not like they're planning, oh, I can't take three more kids because I won't be able to feed them. They just say yes. You know, they say yes to bringing in more kids. And then they figure out how to feed them. Yeah. You know, so it's it's kind of the way it works. So that's why you see some orphanages that look they look like they have plenty, uh, but it may be plenty that week, it may be plenty that month. But then what happens after that? The the, the support has to be constant. Sure. And uh, in, in, in there are other orphanages. They when you arrive, you can see right away they they just don't have. They're enough. suffering. They're suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And so th- so it's always a cycle. And one of the things that we decided. Um, as Corazon de Vida, was that we would help these orphanages have funding, consistent funding, so that they could ride those waves. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's, you know, there's help from churches, from organizations, especially all the ones that are close to the border, um, from a lot of amazing groups that come down and bring food, they bring supplies, they bring clothing, they bring toys. But in the middle of that, I mean, there's there's other needs. They've got to pay the electricity bill. They've got to pay the water bill. They've got to uh, pay for gasoline to transport the kids to school. Uh, so all those things are things that if they don't have the funding to do that, then, you know, that's where they suffer the most. So we try to be as consistent as possible in providing the funding to the 10 orphanages that we support. So each of those orphanages has a specific amount that Corazon de Vida provides mm-hmm. for them, and uh, it, and they know they can count on that. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get you too far off the path um, of your story. You talked about revisiting the orphanage that you grew up in, and you realized it wasn't the same place. Um, can you give us an example of some of the things that stuck out that weren't the same to you that that prompted you to want to start 
something like this? Sure. Um, the main difference was the facilities themselves. I mean, the, the buildings were run down. And uh, a really, really striking difference for me was when it was time, the number of kids, uh, on the other hand, because when I lived there, it was 100 kids. Mm -hmm. So when I visited uh, in 93, they were down to 35 kids. And they could barely feed those kids. Oh. I was there around lunchtime. I remember going into the kitchen. And I I just couldn't even believe that they were serving. It, and I don't remember exactly what it was. But it was something like beans and potato chips or rice and potato chips or something like that. that it wasn't really a meal. Yeah. And it really struck me to, you know, to think that. I had everything I needed when I lived there. Sure. And so I, I did. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I didn't know how orphanages worked. I really didn't know that the government wasn't funding it. Um, I didn't know any of that. So I started to ask a lot of questions and I, I figured, you know, I wanted to help when I found out that the orphanages survived a hundred percent through the generosity of, of individuals and organizations. That's when I decided I, I've got to do something to help. Were you working full time when you went I down was, there? I was working full time. Um, and I had been working for the company for about five years. Uh -huh. I was, um, I hadn't told anybody about my background. I had not mentioned anything. I was learning a new language. I was in a professional capacity in this company. And so I was really trying to um, learn as much as I could, assimilate, do my job the best I could. And I really didn't want to have anybody feel sorry for me sure, uh, because of my background. Uh, but coming back and, and deciding that I wanted to do something to help, I knew that it was going to be important to tell people my story mm -hmm. as a way to for them to understand why I really wanted to help this orphanage. And and really, it was the biggest blessing uh, for me. You know, my my closest community at the time was my work community, the uh -huh. people that I work with, the owners of the company that I work for. And um, they all decided to help right away. They, every one of them said yes. Wow. Every one of them. Wow. And it started with, you know, let's sponsor each child $25, $30. Um, and then everybody, we, we, as a community, we started to really talk about, well, what, what else can we do to fundraise? Let's do raffles. Let's do that. So we started to do different things with that uh, support of that community that, you know, eventually turned into larger fundraising and the need to, to um, uh, formalize the foundation. Hmm. So the, this foundation essentially started with your 
the company that you were working yes. for w with the support of your work mm -hmm. colleagues and mm -hmm. owners. Yes, definitely. Pretty amazing. So at what point did you realize that this was a full-time deal and you needed to leave <laughs> your, you know, your corporate it was, life? It was really always a pretty much a full-time deal yeah. in that I still kept my, you know, obviously I had a, a role and a job and my kids were young and we were putting them through school and all of that. Um, but the foundation was always in the same building mm -hmm. as where I was. So we had a, a corner for the foundation, a couple of cubicles. And so it was always between my work and the things that I needed to do and, and the foundation, um, evenings, you know, doing the foundation evenings on weekends. Um, it was, it was a full time. I'm, I'm really, um, blessed that my husband was able to help with the kids, you know, on, and on evenings and the weekends when I wasn't there um, over the years. But about six years ago, I was able to um, be full-time yeah. with uh, Corazon de Vida. What an incredible commitment from your employer at the time, too, you know, to think about that. You know, here's an employee that came to you and said, hey, this is my past, mm -hmm. and I want to try to help. I mean, that to me, that sounds incredible. I, I don't know at some point in my life if I would have been that open to saying, yeah, sure, let's do this. Yeah, that with cubicles yes. in the corner sounds like a major commitment <laughs> from them. It was definitely a major commitment. And one of the things that I've learned throughout the years, and, and this is what I share with uh, every one of our volunteers, is that, you know, everyone is looking for some way of making a difference. We all want to have purpose in our lives. We really do. And for a lot of people, they can do that through church, through um, other you know things that come up in their life that allows them to do that. But there's many of us that are don't really have anything that we can grab onto. Mm -hmm. And I've always said that the best gift we can give people is to give them the opportunity to participate and to make a difference through Corazón de Vida or any other you know any other way. We've had so many people that you know we we talk to them about what we do and ask them to join us. And, you know, after they've experienced supporting the kids and meeting the kids um, and, and having that feeling of, you know, having made a difference, they tell us how much their life has changed and what a gift it was for them. So sure. we always, you know, rather than be concerned or embarrassed like I was initially to, to tell my story, I learned that by telling my story, I was really opening up the, an opportunity for people to find purpose in life. Yeah. And that's been really beautiful. I mean, I've, over the years, we've been around for 24 years. We've had so many people tell us, hey, you know, I, I participated with Corazón de Vida when I was in high school or in college, and I'm now working for a nonprofit. And that was really what what um, caused me to even look at, at nonprofits. And, uh, and just a lot of different stories of people where their lives have really been touched and changed because of the opportunity to participate. Yeah, we're really on the receiving end of that. You know, we, we feel good that we're donating, but mm -hmm. we're the ones that are benefiting mm -hmm. from that donation because we do. We, it enriches our lives, I, I think. So um, how long did it take, you know, you, you revisited where you grew up at and you knew you needed to help. How long did it take you to get that location to a place where you felt good about it and and they were on the road to, you know, I don't want to say recovery, but they were on that right path for you to go, okay, I feel good about yeah. this. So it took us about seven years. Wow. Seven years of fundraising for uh, one orphanage. And at the same time, 
you know, we, we found a, a great partner couple that na are now the directors um, of that orphanage and that have been for the last 24, 25 years. And that's DJ and Lynette. You've probably met them. Mm -hmm. And um, they were just kids when they started. Uh, but having that partnership really worked because we could start to do all the fundraising in the U.S. They um, could run the orphanage and have the financial accountability that we needed for our donors. And, and that worked out really well. And they started to build their network as well, directly supporting the orphanage. So as they brought in more support, we were able to cut down on how much we needed to fund um, the orphanage. And at that point, we, we realized we had the opportunity to expand to other orphanages. And then we, we started with two, and then we added another. And you know today we have um, 10 orphanages that we support. So you also provide the tools, it sounds like, to these orphanages or these leaders down there to learn how to be a little bit self-sustainable, how to raise some of their own money and, and not rely 100% on your donations at some point. Yes, we, we try to do that as much as possible. Um, work with them with special projects that can help them uh, raise their own money. I think one of the important things is to really look at each orphanage and their um, abilities and capabilities mm -hmm. um, closely when it comes to you know sel safe self-sustaining projects like you know doing a farm for instance one of the orphanages that we support in Valle de Guadalupe has a big farm and they they're able to to raise some money from that um, we've had other um, other projects in other orphanages and uh, it it works as long as the orphanage is prepared to to do that and has the personnel to support it mm -hmm. um, we really encourage them to reach out to other groups and other organizations and uh, and bring in support from others so that Corazon de Vida is not 100% of their support. Uh, God forbid something would happen to us and we wouldn't want to cause the same problem that had uh, my orphanage in the beginning, you know, lose all their support and, and uh, sure. be close to shut, shutting down. Sure. So um, you mentioned you're working with 10 orphanages now. Is, is that kind of your your standard max is 10 orphanages, no more, because, um, you know, it gets challenging to have more than that? Or is there a significance behind that? Um, the significance behind that is the what we can do f as far as monthly support. And we really want to make sure that whatever orphanage we're supporting, that they have what they need to um to provide for the kids and not have to worry about whether they're going to be able to pay their bills the next month or feed the kids the, the next month. And the main reason for that is that we're looking at this um, from the perspective of long-term mm -hmm. support and, and actually being able to break that cycle of poverty and abandonment in Baja. And for us, the way to do that is to provide support and education to the children that are in the orphanages to a point where they can become um, self-sufficient and able to provide for their own families in the future and be able to support the community. So aside from supporting the orphanages monthly, we, um, we have our continuing education program and that program puts kids through college and technical school yeah. that are you know the same kids that are coming out of these orphanages. Um, we've had probably about 60, 65 kids go through that, pr uh, that process. 45 um, are currently in the program, 
45 to 50 that are current in college, university, mm -hmm. local colleges and universities in Baja, in their own communities, where they can be uh, professionals in their own backyards, in a sense, and give back to that community sure. um, eventually. So we've, we have uh, about 15 that have graduated already, yeah. uh, including you know doctors and dentists and um, psychologists and you name it. I met one of your graduates at the fundraiser in San Diego, and I just could tell that this was such a well-rounded individual that had been, you know, fostered and cared for, and just was so impressive. You know, spoke great English. I mean, like the whole bit. I was like, wow, you know, this is really, uh, you know, some wonderful work that you have done on the education side too. And I yes. think a lot of times people miss that component. You know, th they want to mm -hmm. give and feed, but there's, you know, like you said, the education on. Yeah being sustainable yeah. on their own yeah. too well and, and it's a lot to do i mean for the first what was it 15 17 years we really focused only on providing funding to the orphanages making sure that the kids were fed we knew that the other part was important but we did we just didn't have the funding yeah and it was you know it was we got to a point where we started to see the same kids that we saw when they were four and five years old and now they're graduating from high school and now you know we're looking at them and saying okay what's going to happen to them once they leave the orphanage yeah. at 18 they're free to leave they're pretty much given their paperwork and and they're done um same as as in the u.s and so it was at that point that we we decided we needed to take a deep of faith and say we're gonna we're gonna do this we're gonna find the funding to support these students. And we started uh, in the 2011, 2012 school year with three students. Mm -hmm. And now we're at uh, more than 60 p mm. students. Very impressive. Going through the program. Can we step back a little bit and talk about, um, you know, some of the needs of these orphanages? I, I think oftentimes we get wrapped up in, I've got something extra at my house, you know, maybe it's a bag of toys and some stuffed animals and maybe there's some clothes there. And I'm sure those things are great, but when I look at the list of true needs, we're talking about rice and beans, literally, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and cleaning supplies. Yes. I mean, do, can you tell us what some of those biggest needs are and, and where those focuses are today? You know, for, for most people, the easiest way, and this is the way George explains it all the time, the easiest way to think about it is think about your household and think about the things that you need. Everyday mundane things like, you know, dish soap and, and detergent and cleaning supplies and laundry supplies and toilet paper and uh, napkins. All of that an orphanage needs times, you know, 20. Yeah. If, you, if you're, if you, whatever you use for a family of two or four, just multiply that times the number of kids in an orphanage. Yeah. And that's what they need. And the important thing about that when, when it comes to supplies, and that those are the usually the only things that Corazon de Vida will take, mm -hmm. um, just because there's a lot of other groups that do clothing and, and uh, um, toys sometimes. And the kids, sometimes they have way too many toys. And they really enjoy playing outdoors, playing yeah. with a soccer ball and, you know, playing with dirt and doing those things. And they don't do a whole lot with toys. Sure. Gotcha. Really. Yeah. I, I know that a lot of people, they think kids and they think toys. That's the first thing they think about. But um, so we usually ask people to do if they want to do something special for the kids to do something personal, like clean uh, new underwear, socks, um, a new pair of shoes, uh -huh. you know, those kinds of things we um, we usually go after. But definitely supplies and definitely food. 
you know, any anything like like you mentioned, you know, rice and beans, and uh, we ask for proteins, you know, like tuna and yeah. um, things like that that are non-perishable that that can last for. They can store in their while. pantry. Yeah. I you know I've I've seen so many lists of needs over the years. I can't say once I've seen cookies on that list or something that is a treat. And, um, you know, it pulls up my heartstrings because I love cookies, right? <laughs> but you just realize that, that, they're, that they're very focused on what their specific needs are and they're not over-asking. And like you said, if you want to do something special, there's always something that you can do specific, like you said, clothes or, you know, underwear or socks or something like that. But mm -hmm. I think people would be surprised at how basic those needs are that need to be met. Definitely. Um, you also brought up an important point, and I'm just going to reiterate it because I, I know the answer is, um, you know, sometimes they just need some financial support to pay the electrical bill. Mm -hmm or the gas bill, or the water bill, or, or oftentimes, because I'm sponsored in my off-road racing by a tire company, they need tires for their bus. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I can't say how many times I've been asked for tires, but, you know, just, again, back to the basics to keep that household moving, right? Right, and, and there's things in between that they need. For instance, they may have a broken window. They may have um, a, a leaky faucet. They may have those kinds of issues that if we wait, for a group to come down and fix it, and maybe six months to a year. Um, but if they have the funding where they can call the local repair person to come in, and, and you know, we're not only helping the orphanage, we're helping the local community by supporting jobs in sure. the local community. Um, so that we always try to make sure that we can help them with those kinds of projects and, and not just wait around for, um, for a group to, to come down and fix things. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah and one other thing I was going to mention um, when we were talking about cookies, um, we always r ask groups to not bring candy. Mm. Um, and that's another thing that most people think about when they think of kids. Oh, candy. You know, we'll bring a bunch, bunch of candy. Now, we were guilty of that in the early years. I remember um, if DJ and Lynette were here, they would say, oh, we hated your, your group when you came down. <laughs> because by the time we left, for the day, the kids had had so much candy that they were bouncing off the walls. Yeah, uh, it was it was pretty bad. But we've learned, obviously, over the years that that's not a good thing, uh, especially not be not only because of you know kids get wild, but um, all the issues with um, uh, tooth decay and all of that, and, and they don't have the funding for yeah um, for medical and dental and and that. So hmm. good not, good no, point. Yeah. Leave the candy. No at home. candy. <laughs> yeah. What What are your concerns down there right now? I mean, um, I, I mentioned Rancho Milagro, and I know they were slapped with some um, federal regulations that they needed to update, and that basically closed their doors. I mean, do you have concerns overall for the state of affairs with orphanages down there? Orphanages are going through a big change. They have been going through a big change for the last couple of years, and um, it's it's sort of a two-edged sword. You could look at it and say, oh, that's really bad. But on the other hand, it's actually good. Um, the, the government is requiring that every orphanage is licensed. Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference between um, being registered as an orphanage and being licensed. The new requirement of licensing is um, a requirement that has them meet all the requirements that a business a child care center or a school would have to meet, mm -hmm. which means, um, you know, ev everything that has to do with um, safety, everything that has to do with making sure that every person that works there has been through a background check, 
Um, Facilities have to be upgraded. You know, all a lot of requirements, and for some orphanages, it's cost a lot of money to yeah. get there. Some of them are still not quite there, but they're working on it, and we we've been helping um, some as well with that process. Uh, but ultimately, it's a good process because it's going to be better and safer for the children. That's that's what I was thinking. I mean, I I think we look at it from the outside and go, wow, that's really a bummer. We've been wor- working with this orphanage, but they got to close their doors because the government stepped in. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we'd have those standards here. Exactly. There wouldn't be an orphanage operating the way that a lot of places do. So um, that's a good point that it's probably a good thing, right? I think we have, uh, of our 10 orphanages, maybe a little bit more than half have gotten their license already. And that has to be kept up every couple of years. Um, And and the others are well on their way to, um, to doing that as well. I think another good point to make within that is that we as Americans, when we look at Mexico, we just think that it's, I don't know, cowboy country. I, I don't know how you describe it. Anything goes. And I think it's it's nice to hear, it's refreshing to hear that the government is stepping in mm-hmm. on certain levels to make sure or ensure that there's some regulations for these kids and the environment that they live in. And I think that that's a positive message for the country because so many people assume that you can do whatever you want down there. It's really not the case, right? Right, right. That's that's definitely not the case. And I think that's one of the reasons a lot of visitors get in trouble is because they assume that. Yeah, they have so. laws down there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, if you're listening, there's laws down there. Don't <laughs> go looking for drugs, please. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, overall for us, I mean, the important thing is um, of the work that we're doing is, is to continue our, our fundraising. We're really fortunate that most of the people or anybody that that participates with Corazón de Vida, they can visit the orphanages that um, we support and they can see firsthand exactly what we're doing, how we're doing. They can meet our students. Um, There's no no black box or anything, you know, involved in, in the work that we do. So continuing to, to fundraise to expand um, our programs into the orphanages. Things that we, we want to do that we've been wanting to do is to have better um, psychological support for the kids at the orphanage. All of this is going to help them as they grow older mm-hmm. and they get ready for, um, for life in general. Sure. Um, you know, afterwards, uh, having you know, better uh, funding for medical and dental, more timely support for kids in those areas. And, uh, and and then obviously providing the monthly funding to the orphanages. So for us, the way we do that is we do a few fundraisers a year in uh, Orange County and San Diego, but we also have these great chapters that we've created, and these are all volunteer chapters in uh, different areas to expand our reach into those areas. So we have a pretty strong chapter in San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, the Corazon de Vida chapter San Diego, and they've uh, been around for about four years, and, and the fundraising that they've been able to do through their network um, is, is pretty significant. We've just started an, a Los Angeles uh, chapter and a um, Northern California chapter, mm. and those are just getting started. But okay. the main idea of a chapter is to create community around support for the kids in Baja right. in, a, in a particular area, do a few fundraisers, maybe do some trips, and then expand the reach for Corazon de Vida. The more people h- can hear about it, the more people that can say, yes, we want to participate, we want to we be a part of that. Yeah. Um, it's just the way, the way that, we, that we do this. Um, we have our monthly bus trips. Those are always listed on our website. We're probably most known for that in the Orange County, San Diego area. 
but um, every bus trip is once a month. We pick up in LA, Orange County, San Diego, so anybody can participate. Um, we do sell out really, really fast. So if if you're you know listening and planning to uh, to participate, uh, pick a month and and go ahead and register because uh, we do. F uh, I think we've been selling out a couple of months ahead of time. That's a good problem to have. Yeah. It, yes, Lots of interest. yes, it it is, <laughs> it is definitely, and you know, becoming a monthly sponsor is always the best way to support for us. Twenty, you know, fifty, a hundred dollars, whatever you can do. That that really is what helps us keep the monthly commitment to the orphanages mm -hmm. because we know is money that's going to come in on a monthly basis. We can then extend that commitment to, um, to the orphanages, and. Um, and then another great way is exactly the way that Bahainad it is is uh, participating, and that's through our cause-related marketing mm -hmm. agreement. We have a lot of really great people that are um, in business that have a heart for for helping for philanthropy, and this is a great way to do that is to have this agreement with Corazón de Vida where a percentage of your product or um, service can go to support the kids, and we. We have a, a couple of uh, businesses that have taken us up on that. Uh, it's, it's a fairly new program for us, but it's a, a great way to, again, expand the base of support for the children. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, 2018, what's, what's your biggest initiative this year that you guys are working on as an organization? We, um, we have a huge project on the horizon, and that is the building of a baby dorm mm -hmm. and uh, at one of our orphanages. This is, you know, another area where we fundraise separately as for projects. And, you know, in the past few years, we've rebuilt a couple of dorms, and we've, you know, done a lot of big projects like that. But um, this is probably the biggest one right now because it's a complete build from the ground up, uh, including uh, purchasing the land. We, we already have... A partial on the land. We need uh, about another twenty-eight, thirty thousand to finish up the the land purchase. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we do that, we will do a a campaign uh, fundraiser for the baby dorm, which we we're thinking was probably going to be at a, around a hundred thousand between the building and the um, equipment that they're going to need. But the great thing about this is um, this is one of those things that um, the orphanage that needs this baby dorm is one of the few orphanages that can take babies and infants because mm -hmm. it's a lot of work to take babies and infants and uh, currently they have them in a second build second story building that's not uh, very safe uh -huh. and so the government has already told them as part of this whole initiative that um, if they're not able to relocate the babies um, they will not be receiving any more babies in the future wow. and uh, we want to make sure that they can continue to support uh, babies and, and toddlers so that's what a tough thing to hear and not want to give everything in your pocket, right? Exactly. <laughs> Where the baby's <laughs> going to go. No, seriously, that's just, yeah. uh, well, it's a wonderful project. I, I've heard a little bit about it throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just think that you guys have such a great organization. I wish people could, you know, see where you work out of. It's very simple. Um, you know, people always talk about the overhead of charity organizations, and that is not you guys. You know, um, you've got a humble place here. You guys are working tons and tons of hours to make this happen. And um, I think that uh, it's just, it couldn't be any easier for people to help either through the programs that you have, mm -hmm. whether it's a, a business or an individual, um, to donate, whether time or money. It just seems like you've got it all covered. So, um, you know, it, it's our pleasure to be working with you. And, um, we're kind of at our 45-minute mark. I told you it'd go by fast. 
But, um, I, you know, I just hope that this message will resonate with our listeners and, and people have a better understanding about what you're doing here. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I ran into George and the Valle down there. You guys are you guys are working the program. You're you're involved. You're out there. And I think that that's really important. You know, you're not just sitting in an office talking about the good deeds you're doing. them. So um, where can people find you? Uh, maybe a website, social media. What's the best? Yes. Place? So we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and it's all Corazón de Vida. And, uh, and uh, our website, uh, corazondevida.org. Okay, .org. Okay, mm -hmm. great. So if you're listening, pop on the website, um, see where you can help if, you're, if this interests you, or uh, look at one of your affiliate companies. I know for, for us, if you buy some wine, uh, we give a percentage of that back, and we'd love to sell you a whole bunch of wine. Um, I'm going to say this on air because I've been talking about it amongst myself and Eric and a couple others this last uh, month or so is we set a, a goal to give back when we started this company and um, people are so inclined to pick a number of what that looks like and even in our relationship with you you asked for you know what it, we need to commit to a number and in the last month I thought you know we can do better than a number we want to be known as the company that's giving the most back to Baja and to the orphanages down there through your work. So it's my personal goal as a business leader, and that's my going to be my new message when people ask, well, how much are you giving? And it's going to be as much as I can because we want to be um, known with working with you guys as giving the most back to the orphanages down there. And I don't even know what that looks like, but I think it's probably a good number, and we want to strive to hit that. We know that there's a lot of people in Southern California that have a passion for this, and we hope that we can tap into those so that – as a group, we can become known as that, or Corazon can be known as that. So thank you for being on the show today. I, I hit you guys up last minute, and you said yes, so thank you for that. And um, we, look forward to, we look forward to seeing you and, and your growth, Hilda. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. What an amazing story that Hilda has. I just really enjoyed interviewing her and learning some of those insights. And we can just all take a moment to think how we can improve the lives of others, whatever that means to you and where you live and your demographic. We love what's happening with Corazon de Vida and our own efforts to go down to Baja and support these orphanages really has touched my life and my partner Eric Morley's life for many, many, many years. So if you want to get involved, if you want to go down there, you can find out through their website on the tours that they're giving. Also, if you want to come to our website, BajaUnitedGroup.com, we work with Baja Voyager down in Mexico and then also Boca Roja Tours that not only covers Mexico but also the U.S. So we would love to connect you and get you down to Mexico, not just to see wineries. That's a good time, but we can also get you down to see some of these orphanages and maybe support them firsthand. And don't forget, a percentage of all the wine that we sell on our website and any merchandise, we've got a great cookbook on there. A percentage of that goes towards Corazon de Vida. So thank you for that. I always like to talk about some of my famous, our favorite quotes. David Meltzer always says, more than enough. Think about our own lives and how we probably have more than enough. And if you can spend a couple minutes every day, every day thinking about areas that you have more than enough, it will resonate and change your life. And I've always thought through Mark Victor Hansen's quote, what you believe is what you'll achieve. So keep that in your thoughts. And I would love to hear from you if you've listened to this podcast or the others and some things have happened in your life. Please reach out to me. 
Um, there's no better encouragement for us to keep doing what we're doing with Corazon de Vida or for me with the podcast than to hear from you guys. And I have heard from a lot of people the last month because of this podcast. So thank you for that. Keep them coming. Text me, email me, reach out on info at Baja United, however you want to get a hold of me, Facebook, Instagram, they're all available. Jim Riley Racing, Spartan Strong at 50 Baja United Wines. However, we'd love to hear from you. So thank you so much for listening. Tune in for next week's podcast. I've got many, many more great guests lined up, some interesting stories about health and life and changes and things that you'd least expect. And I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Again, share with your friends and family. iTunes podcast. Take care.